Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Oye Komova from Eliane Elias. A great way to start the Jazz Shapers program with me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM. Thank you so much for joining me. Business and music will collide for you in the next hour as I introduce you to my business shaper, someone who's shaping the world of business. Here's John Mulliken, Senior Vice President of International and Strategic Initiatives. You'll find out what they mean from Wayfair. They're a $4 billion plus value business on the New York Stock Exchange listed over there. He's a fantastic guy. In addition to hearing from him, you'll also be hearing some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul. And if that isn't enough, you'll be hearing some words of wisdom from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice specifically for your business. In terms of the music, what are you going to hear? You are going to hear from Stevie Wonder, new music from Jackie Terrison and this from Marcus Hill. Marcus Hill with I Remember Summer. We're in a very smooth mood here on Jazz Shapers. John Mulliken's my business shaper today. As I said, he's got a fantastic title, if nothing else. We'll find out. I'm sure it's a lot more than that. SVP, Senior Vice President of International and Strategic Initiatives of a company called Wayfair. They are online retailers of home furnishings, which may sound small, I hear you say, but actually, as I said earlier, it's a a business that's worth more than $4 and is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. John, thank you so much for joining me. Elliot, thanks so much for having me. He's a New Yorker, by the way. Immediately, the, the accent. I like, I the like accent it. gives me away. I can't, I can't help it. I was listening to something earlier in the week, and they were talking about the Brits abroad in um, New York and how well they play. It's the same for a New Yorker here, isn't it? People think you're going to be a certain way. Do people in this country, do you think, and we're going to talk about where, where you are now and what you've been doing and so on, we're just interested on this. Do they treat you differently because you've got that accent? I often hear uh, the, the story goes that, you know, you're a Londoner in, in New York, you're a Londoner in America, you're a British person in America. They think you're smart and you can get away with stuff. What's the, uh, the, the corollary over here for a I New think that I think that uh, if you're an American, if you're a New Yorker in London, everyone thinks you're very gregarious. And it's probably true of me, so you know, I, I won't argue with it. It's, uh, it's a nice reputation to have. Now, tell me a little bit about Wayfair. Um, it's, a, it's an online furnishing business. I said it's worth lots of money. And tell me a little bit about your role, because you're a bit of a what, what you would call, what I would call an intrapreneur. Help me understand that a touch. That's right. So what I've done throughout my career, but really here at Wayfair, is I've been able to start businesses. I've been able to start businesses. Really, I've been employee number one, the first guy on the ground, the first guy around the conference table when there's no one else around the conference table uh, quite a few times. I, what that means is that when we set our eyes on a new opportunity, whether it's a media business or whether it's uh, starting a flash sales site, uh, whether it's uh, starting a new geography, I'm one of the first guys in who uh, gets there, really sees what the opportunity is, figures out how we're going to attack it, how we're going to build a team, uh, gets the first few people there and really 
sees uh, the business through the the first few months and years of of, of taking off. It's uh, it's the exciting part. It's the part where you're not sure what the plan's going to be. It's the part where you don't know whether uh, you're going to go this way or that way, where you're going to uh, uh, succeed or not, and uh, exactly what the plan is. So I I have been lucky enough to be able to uh, uh, take a number of uh, big problems. And right now, Europe is one of our biggest areas that we're focused on, uh, the UK, Germany, and some other markets. And really, you know, what we're uh, doing is uh, building a team very rapidly, uh, very, very rapidly. I mean, the speed of hiring uh, that we're going through is is kind of staggering even to me. Uh, and getting those people on the ground, getting them busy, getting them focused on the on the right problems, it's really exciting. You're going to find out a lot more from my entrepreneur, my business shaper, John Mulliken. He's the SVP of International Strategic Initiatives with Wayfair. Time for some music. This is Jackie Terrison, and it's called Kiff, and it's new music from the Berlin-born New York-based pianist. The lively kiff from Jackie Terrison. John Mulliken's my business shaper today. And John, we were talking about the fact you're a bit of an entrepreneur. You've built businesses inside. Your background's really interesting, and I, and I want to get to a specific question. But basically, just to map it out, you've been an economist. You've got an MBA. You've got a BA. You're a well-educated person. You were at Boston Consultancy Group as a, as a management consultant. You're kind of this unusual beast, which is that you can work in a, in a corporate environment, but you're more than just the thinker and the strategist. You actually bring markets and, and businesses to life. Do you think that your background has allowed you to, I mean, how has your background allowed you to do both those two things? And often people do half of that job. One is a deliverer, the other one's the thinker. You're a bit of both. I've been very lucky in my, in my career. I, when I started out, I started out as a management consultant, really by luck as much as anything. And I adored it. Um, but I think as I went on in my career, I realized that it's 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 being an inventor, being a you know, being someone who starts things that really gets me excited. And it was tough to bridge that gap. I'll be honest. When I first started out as a uh, someone who actually had to you know uh, put the pedal to the metal and uh, and decide, make the the decision, where's my first ad going to be? Where's my uh, what's my first product I'm going to offer? What is what is the site going to look like? You know, who am I going to hire to uh, run advertising for? You know, for my team. When I had to make all those decisions, I it was uh, it, it was a challenge. I, I I had to spend a lot of time thinking about how am I going to be an entrepreneur. And it's funny. I think initially I overthought it. I well, you I, would. You're a management consultant. Of course, you overthought it. You I, had to. That was you my job. To, you <laughs> had to do the diligence. You had to do the analysis. But therein lies the the real question for me, which is that when one thinks of a management consultant, I've had a few on the program actually who then become entrepreneurs. W- one thinks about people who obviously are very smart and very strategic and very driven by their heads. The entrepreneur, the pure entrepreneurs, and some of those that I've interviewed as well, they're much more, they're very intelligent, but they're much more kind of streetwise. They have this sense of the deal, and they have a sense of passion sometimes. Now, you strike me as a passionate person, but do you feel, what's what's driven your decision-making now that you're a wayfarer and now you, you've created Jossamain? Is it the heart? Is it the head? Is it a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both. To be very honest, when I started out, I, I had a lot of difficulty shooting from the hip. I had a lot of difficulty being a fast decision maker, being someone who was going to uh, decide without sending someone off to do a lot of analysis, exactly you know what the plan was. And it's been great fun to really challenge myself to do that again and again to uh, to say all right well you know now's the uh, now's the moment if we waste a week on this decision we're not going to learn anything. And you know, one of the things we say in technology is 
you have to not be afraid to fail quickly. You have to not be afraid to fail at all, really. And you need to get uh, very much used to jumping off cliffs, if you will, every day. Just making a making a decision and running with it, seeing what the market says. Because in reality, when you work in technology, it's all pixels. And pixels are quite inexpensive to build uh, compared to if you have to change the menus at uh, thousands of shops or if you have to uh, go out and train uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of workers in the uh, in a shop floor. Uh, it's really quite inexpensive to switch out the pixels if they were the wrong shade of blue or if they don't uh, make people happy and don't make people uh, click on a product that they're interested in buying. So uh, it really makes you shift entirely around your view on risk and uh, how you're going to uh, make your make your decisions because uh, making decisions quickly actually. Uh, you know, I had to I had to learn to think about this, as you as you pointed out. I had to I had to convince myself that the right thing to do was to act quickly. But now that I have, it's second nature, and uh, I, I think I, I approached it as a as an exercise. And it's been I have more fun in my in my uh, in my career today than I ever did. Stay with me for more about the benefits of acting quickly and thinking and doing stuff without waiting around for too long. With my business shaper John Mulliken. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, and before that, some words of wisdom for your burgeoning business from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. I'm Daniel Farrand. I'm an associate in the planning group at Mishkondorea, part of the wider real estate department. You may find as a, uh, as a business or as a small business or if your business grows that um, you're having problems finding accommodation. This may be partly in due to the fact that permission has been given nationwide, with a few minor exceptions, uh, to allow officers to be converted to residential. An awful lot of office stock, therefore, is being converted to much more valuable uses for owners. That causes big problems for those who want to occupy small units, because those are the ones that are clear targets for the exercise of this right. There is some hope on the horizon, however. Uh, We've been engaged with a few clients uh, on large mixed-use development schemes who have either offered or have been asked to provide starter units for commercial occupiers, um, be they tech startup industries or or just small office or retail units. This is almost the equivalent of affordable housing for the residential sphere, where uh, in granting permission for housing development, a local authority might insist that some of those are made available to uh, those who can't afford to occupy it on the open market. A similar sort of concept of affordable commercial units is gaining more ground and is worth investigating. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday I get the chance to meet someone who's shaping the world of business. If you've missed any of those shapers, go into iTunes and you'll find a whole host of them over there. If you're on British Airways in the near future, join me because I'll be talking to someone over there. FT.com, CityAM.com are also destinations for you. John Mulliken is your destination today. He's my business shaper and he's the founder or co-founder of Josson Main. But within that, he's actually a big, senior, important executive and strategic thinker and doer, by the way of a business called Wayfair, which for those of you that don't know, many of you won't know these because as I go and do my explorations, I often go, wow, how big is that company? This one is a biggie, worth more than $4 billion, listed on the New York Stock Exchange. It's called Wayfair. I urge you to go and have a look at some of its brands, one of which, as I said, is Joss and Main. They're the furniture people online. You were talking about the speed of pixels and the difference between the technology business and other ones and what you do. You mentioned earlier also, John, that you've built a team and it's grown super fast. As you've had to come to grips with the craft skill of of management of a team, not just of the pixels, what have you learned along the way? What what do you think you now know as a leader that you didn't know five years ago? I think one of the things that 
I've had to teach myself is to both trust my gut, but also to learn how to act quickly. And that means that when you're dealing with the most talented people in the world who really could work anywhere, that you can't afford to wait when you meet someone who's fantastic. You need to bring them onto the team. You need to give them a lot of power, a lot of uh, choices, a lot of autonomy, a lot of resources. You have to give them a sense of vision. You have to give them a sense of direction. Then you need to let them operate. And at the same time, if you're hiring as quickly as we are, and uh, you know, to give you, you know, some sense, when I joined Wayfair five years ago, uh, there were a few hundred people, maybe 300 people. And now there's more than 3,000. And uh, you know, growth that size, sometimes you do make mistakes. Mm. And I think one of the things that I've learned is that it's best for everyone. If you're really in a, in a performance culture, a place where everybody takes pride in what they do, they're aggressive, they're thoughtful, they love, they, they just enjoy coming into work every day. If you've got someone who's not pulling every ounce of their weight, you need to find a way to ask them whether there's something that needs to change. And then if, if it isn't going to work out, you need to move very quickly and take care of that. Because otherwise, uh, you know, the team just doesn't work as well as it's going to. And everyone else uh, uh, takes the tone from someone who's not. And I get that. That speed is important. And, and, and people are obviously the asset, as it were. But there are other big digital businesses which recently may have been in the press. And they've been you know, people talking about what a nightmare it was to work there. Where do the values fit in in a fast-moving business where it's all about, especially in the public environment, it's about the bottom line? How do you hold on to the sense of what's right, how to treat people? You said you want to give them space, but there's a line, isn't there? You don't want to get it wrong. There is. We've really tried to embrace a lot of the things that made us a very strong culture at Wayfair when we were a startup. And as we've grown and grown, as, as I mentioned, uh, we really hold on to agility very dearly. And uh, you'll hear a lot about agile software development, people sitting in these small groups. We use the, the, the phrase a scrum, which comes from rugby, and uh, the idea that people come together and they act as though they're in a, a tiny company uh, working on a discrete piece of business uh, so that they can uh, uh, work in uh, a small team and very rapidly roll something out and see what the market thinks about it. Then uh, one of the you know an another things that uh, another thing that we try to do is we really try to make sure that transparency is something we hang on to as we grow. Everyone in the company uh, has access to uh, a lot of data, a lot of information. You can see how business is doing day to day, uh, week to week, whether an individual product that we sell or whether a manufacturer, how they're doing. And we do that. We really try to empower everyone to uh, be able to make change happen throughout the uh, throughout the business. And we try to be flat. Uh, it's one thing that we you know we say. Uh, a lot of people say that they try to be flat, but what, we really try to live it. No one in the business has an office. And and uh, my boss, uh, the CEO, doesn't have an office. I don't have an office. Uh, a lot of times you'll uh, have uh, folks who come into our office, they attend a meeting, and uh, they'll say, that was an amazing meeting, but I couldn't tell who was in charge. And I say, well, that's just the point. And there you go. That is just the point. A new way of doing business sounds like it's a good way. Time for some more music. This is the man himself, Frank Sinatra, with Summer Wind. That was Frank Sinatra with Summer Wind. John, we've been talking um, about maintaining the virtues of a startup, and I think you've you've explained really well how you're trying to do that. Do you think it's more and more difficult as you get bigger and bigger? 
And if it is more and more difficult, does that mean you have to be on your toes in terms of uh, the way that you manage and the, the methodologies that you use to ensure that people still feel part of something? And if, if that is the case, what's next? So at Wayfair, we sell furniture. We sell home furnishings, as you mentioned. And that's just hard. It's harder than slipping a book or uh, something in an envelope and putting it through the mail slot. Uh, these things have legs. They come in many, many uh, sizes and shapes and finishes. Uh, things are uh, just more challenging to move around. There's a lot more of them. I mean, one of the uh, you know, things I, I, I always like to say is that um, if you look at, in the U.S. anyway, at paper towels and you look at lighting, paper towels is a $7 billion business and so is lighting. But they're only maybe, you know, if you think about a handful of brands, a handful of items, there's only 50 items in paper towels. So that means $130 million per paper towel item. In lighting, there's probably about 500,000 items. And that means there's, you know, $13,000 per item. As you get bigger, you have to sell more of those items and you have to, your processes have to be tighter. You have to really be able to uh, make connections so that you can draw an inference uh, from how people are behaving on your uh, on your site. When uh, you see that someone's interested in, uh, uh, in a brown sofa, if you try to sell them more brown sofas once they've purchased one, you look like a fool. But if you sell them a lamp that goes well with that sofa, if you sell them a table that goes well with that sofa, they'll be loyalists. They'll come back. And you really, you need the customer service to work at scale. I mean, as you get to the uh, the size that we have, there are strains. There are certainly, you know, it gets more challenging to keep the teams focused on what's most important. Um, so we try to keep it as simple as we possibly can. We try to say, yes, we're focused on, uh, on building the business. But unless it's right for the customer, unless the customer service is great, unless the price is fantastic, unless they get what they asked for when they asked for it, um, is, unless they uh, can find exactly what they want quickly, it's just not going to work. And so uh, keeping everyone laser focused uh, uh, and not making it too complicated is one of the big challenges as you move from being truly a startup to a fairly large company. Final chat with my inventor, John, plus Stevie Wonder coming up after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Stevie Wonder with the fantastic Living for the City. It's uh, one of John's and one of mine all-time Stevie Wonder favourites for the record. John, um, we've talked about a whole bunch of stuff about you as a, as a human being, your, your, your brain, the entrepreneurial traits in you. In the next few years, the technology business will continue, the technology world rather, will continue to become the world, the business world. In there, where are you going to shape a path for not just Wayfair, but for yourself? Because there are so many options. I mean, literally anything is possible. You are, as you said, a a pixel away from doing something different. How are you going to differentiate what you do? So I think one of the ways I've always oriented is to pick things that are challenging, that are really hard to do. And pixels... You can always build prettier pixels, right? That's just it. You can you can always make the screen uh, look like a better image. But at the end of the day, what what we do, the reason why it's so hard is it actually lives in the physical world. There's nothing that's more tangible, more material than the bed you sleep on, or the the sheets, or the dining table, or you know uh, uh, the plates that you eat your dinner off of. And that's what we deliver. And I, one of the things that I find so fascinating is the the interconnection between. 
how someone interacts with a, uh, our business as a website, and then how they interact with the product when they actually uh, have to unwrap the box at home. And, Do they have to set the thing up themselves as well? It depends. You depends. Can, you can so we have, we have some four-poster beds that weigh more than 1,000 uh, pounds. That, that would uh, be tricky to do on your own. You wouldn't, wouldn't want to do yourself. Unless you were very strong <laughs> and had four arms. I am rather... You know, I'm on the radio, so you, you can't are see robust. how strong so, I am. So, but... a robust, this John is very robust. <laughs> but that, that bit, I mean, just from a personal perspective, I always... I kind of want to touch and feel the thing. Absolutely. Especially furniture which you live in. I mean, I may just ask. You, you, can, you can tell me the, the, the category norm rather than the wafer thing. What percentage of stuff gets sent back to be replaced by something that actually works so I, not because it's not a great piece of furniture but just because they go oh it didn't doesn't look quite like i thought it would in a lot of categories you see that you know it's it's about 10 percent in shoes you know you uh, companies like zappos they've uh, they get more than 30 percent of their uh, uh, they've really built their business around uh, accepting returns one of the things i always like to say is that people shouldn't buy an item of furniture online unless they want to buy it online we save you an enormous amount of you don't have to drive around the edge of the city. You don't have to think about you know what all the options are. Figure out what all the stores are. There's just too many stores. <laughs> you can't there. make them. You don't get people going driving out saying, "Right, you better come here. You better buy this bed online." <laughs> I mean, but but it is. It, it, but it's the habits have changed dramatically. They'll continue to become people. Everyone's more comfortable. They have, who who would have thought that we would uh, stay in a stranger's home by booking uh, it on our phone or uh, you know get a taxi? Usually, you were drunk when that happened. And this and these are different things now. There's a business model that's been built on the excitement. And but these, you're right. Who would have thought? Absolutely. And so, as we see, I mean, one of the reasons why I joined this business is because it's relatively underpenetrated. In fact, you know, more than half of books in the U.S. are sold online now, and uh, under 10% of furniture and home furnishings are, are sold online. And so there's a long way to go. And I think that you have to be realistic. In 20 years, is the majority of home furnishings going to be sold online? What do you online? think? What do you reckon? I doubt it. I mean, you still I, think it's less than 50% will I, be in 20 years will be bought online. You still think people will be very happy to go to the big store. We can build up. an enormous business and be extremely satisfied with everything that we've done, even if the majority isn't purchased online. You're very happy with that, and I don't blame you. Listen, John, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? One of my favorite uh, pieces. I, I, this is a, a tough, a tough question to answer. But one of my favorite pieces, I was uh, when Art Blakey was uh, playing, I, I uh, at the Birdland, and there's a song called We Dot, and it just starts with a screaming drum solo, and rolls into. You just can't, you keep thinking it can't possibly uh, get any more intense. They can't drive any harder. They can't possibly play together after this, and then it all comes together. And it reminds me of starting a business. What it feels like. When that intensity is just building and building and building, and uh, you think that the the, you know, the the coordination can't possibly happen, and then it does, and it's just so magic. Great choice, and here it is. Thanks again, John. Thanks, Elliot. How about a big hand for Art Blakey? Art Blakey and his wonderful all-star.
We docked from Art Blakey, the song choice of my business shaper today, John Mulliken. Intelligent, the ability to be strategic on the one hand and make super fast decisions on the other hand. Self-aware, as he's grown the businesses that he's developed, he really has become clear on his management style and what he needs to do at different times in a business's evolution. And a man who really understands the world of digital, part of a big empire and growing, and I'm sure you'll be hearing more from him as he develops his next business. Join me same time, same place. That's next Saturday M for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Meantime, stay with us. Coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.